Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Very Not Random. I'm Pat Sherwood, joined by Adrian Bosman. Today's episode is all about the squats. And this is user-driven content because we did an episode all about the deadlifts and all about pressing overhead. And somebody basically said, man, we'd love to have an episode on the squat. So ask and you shall receive. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, squatting has been a staple in strength programs and weightlifting programs of all stripe with all different kinds of athletes since weightlifting was a thing. Uh, it's one of the most foundational, indispensable movements. Um, and there's lots of different variety that you can pull from, just like you saw with the deadlifts and the overhead lifts. And so sometimes it can be a bit of a question of like, what is better than, or what is the preferred technique to approach this thing? Um, and I think, I don't want to speak for you, but that always makes me happy in the sense that I think it's great when people are asking that type of question because it, by its nature, suggests that you're doing the most important thing, which is squatting. How you approach it, right. I think, is so secondary to the fact that I'm doing it regularly. So if that's already checked, hey, you're winning. So that's great. <laughs> you know, it's funny not to derail this conversation already and get away from the topic that we want to talk about, but your little intro there made me think that as we have this conversation, it is so incredibly obvious the benefits of the squat and how everybody mm -hmm. should be squatting in one way, shape, or form. But what strikes me as crazy is, is even though I would never question that now, for the first half of my athletic life, I did not squat. Like I was going Absolutely, to yeah. Gold's Gym <laughs> and doing the leg press, the leg extension, the leg curl, a calf raise. I know you'd never think of it, but my calves, but you know, I was doing all those things <laughs> and all we, you know, all my friends in high school, we'd all go lift. Nobody was doing a back yeah. squat ever. We were all hitting the machines, but now I look back, I'm like, how in the world were we avoiding what is arguably like the most fundamental lift in the world? But back then, we never saw it. It's, it's, it's just so crazy how that's come full circle. So yes, I'm very happy that it's in my repertoire now and it should be in everybody else's, I hope, by this point in the game. Yeah, and let's talk about that briefly, like some of the benefits. I mean, if you want to be uh, talking about just total body strength, I know the squat's often thought about as a lower body exercise and certainly that's going to be the, the driver, but you talk about just loading the skeleton in a way that is evenly distributed and maximally contributed to by, by the rest of your muscular system. There, there's no better way than putting that bar on your body, front squat, back squat, and going up and down with it. I mean, the amount of muscle that is involved in that lift is insane. So yeah, it really does uh, boil down to, is it something you're doing regularly? Yes or no? And if yes, then great. We can start going down these rabbit holes about best approaches, but start there. Let's make sure it's a, a regular part of your routine. Yeah, and this is maybe just a trivia question that there is no right or wrong Ooh. answer to. You know, this is one of those questions that it doesn't exist. That's not a very trivia just, question. <laughs> just for funsies, just for funsies, right? Okay, okay. If you could only deadlift or only squat for the rest of your life, you know, I know people would say you're going to move more weight with the yeah. deadlift, right? So does that, does that sway oh, your argument? I'm picking back squat every day of the week. And part of that's personal bias because I uh, am a better squatter than I am a puller. Okay. Um, I enjoy it more. I find I get more out of it. Um, I, I'm a bit of a fragile man, Pat, you know, so the deadlift <laughs> can beat me up a little bit. 
Um, you know, there's plenty of other people that disagree with me, uh, but I feel that the deadlift is a little bit more of an outlier lift in the sense that there are people who can pull the world mm-hmm. just due to the nature of, I don't know what it is, spinal integrity, soft tissue tolerance or whatever, but you get them outside of that deadlift environment and they're really not that strong in their comparative lifts. Is often not the case that you see that with the squat. You see somebody with a, a monster back squat, it is very rare that they do not have a deadlift to match and a press to match, et cetera, et cetera. My, I would choose the back squat as well. And, and my deadlift is a better lift for me. So I'm choosing the ah, lift for me okay. that, is a, that is a worse lift because in my simple mind, this is what I say, even though I'm going to move less weight, I'm getting a greater range of motion, yep. which I'll take that almost any day of the week. And then the load is placed higher on my body. So that so the demands of just raising my center of mass, so to speak, by putting that load up higher increases the need for balance, increases the need for my midline and my positioning. Yep. Like I I would choose the back squat. Luckily, no one has to make that choice. It's just again yep. just a And you shouldn't. You shouldn't make that choice. Um, yes, but for sure. and and to piggyback off of the thought you just had there, that range of motion I think is increasingly important as you Go a little bit further in your fitness journey, shall we say. I mean, getting mm-hmm. old. Um, you know, preserving that ability to squat and maintaining that, which speaks volumes to your hip, knee, and ankle strength and stability and health. Um, that's something that the deadlift isn't going to preserve as well or as readily. And that is something you mentioned before. While we're going to discuss all different types of squat and people will definitely have their favorites and lean one way or another... The important thing is that you're squatting, not even how much you're squatting, the fact that you're yeah. squatting in any variety, and that will most likely decrease as you get older, but you will still be in an elite group of ninjas if when you're 85, you just do 10 air squats a day. You will be a superhero yeah. compared to your peers, yep. so the fact that you're continuing down this range of motion, raising and lowering your center of mass below parallel and back up to the best of your ability... Mission accomplished. Okay. Yep. Let's start with just about as unsexy of a squat as you possibly can, the air squat, that it can be so easy that once people develop a little bit of competence to think that I'm, I'm too good for this simple unloaded squat, I don't need to go back there. What's the air squat all about? Why is it so dang important? Uh, it's going to lay the foundation for all the others. You know, it's going to give you the basic postural and positional awareness for how to get in a good position spot with your stance, where the correct end point of the movement is, how you get back up with the correct sequencing of muscular groups. All of that is going to start to uh, come into effect with the air squat. So really, if you can take the time there, you're going to develop the flexibility and coordination that's going to transfer over to all these other styles of squats with a little bit of modification. So it's it's kind of taking the first steps in your squat journey. Um, On the other end of that, I think the air squat is a huge tool in anybody's back pocket for when they find themselves in an austere environment or away from the gym. I mean, you can light yourself up at any (laughs) level of fitness if you've got a good air squat in your back pocket and you're not afraid to cork it with Mm -hmm. that movement. The air squat, too, is a little bit of a polygraph for some of your other <laughs> for some of your other squats well because a little bit of loading can hide some flaws. You know, if I I'm a rather tight individual, no one's identified me as being flexible. But if I get a little bit of loading on me, 
Suddenly my torso looks a little <laughs> bit more vertical, like things just shine a little bit more. You take that external loading off my body and ask me to do just five or 10 nice slow air squats and let's see what we're working with. All of a sudden, there's some things that weren't quite as obvious when I was loaded. Mm -hmm. And so there can be a rush to get by the air squat because it does appear so simple and rudimentary, yep. but it is the foundation of the building. And and in general, we don't want to add load and or speed and intensity to something. You know, if you can't drive the car in first gear, we're not going to put the car in fifth gear down the highway and, you know, a curvy road in the rain. It just doesn't make any sense. So we've sure. got to make sure that the air squad <laughs> is, it is where it is. And uh, again, I'm trying not to go down another rabbit hole, but, <laughs> but if I may, maybe back in the day, sorry that I just used that phrase. The air squat was a bit more popular. Uh, well, let's just say I, I don't hear too many people these days are doing like Tabata air squats, mm. which, you know, maybe 10, 12 years ago, it was, it was a bit more common. And we used to do them every day one at the level one seminar. We would do the bottom oh, yeah. to bottom air squats. And so if anyone's unfamiliar with just the Tabata protocol in general, 20 seconds of work, 10 seconds of rest, you do that eight times. It takes a mere four minutes of your life. And kind of like what you were just saying, austere environment, you don't have any oh, yeah. gear. <clears throat> if you work yourself up to not bottom to bottom, but just regular Tabata squats, air squats, and you can hold 15 reps or more in that 20 second window. And if you watched the uh, video afterwards, you would be happy with the range of motion in the form. Mm -hmm. You're in a really good place. You start to creep up into the upper teens in those 20 second the windows, 20s, you, the 20 plus, you I've get like an that. Annie, you get like an Annie yep. Sakamoto, you know, you're holding 20s and they look beautiful every time. You've got some squatting capacity, like for sure. Absolutely. Yep. Well, and, and just side note on that Tabata protocol, that's one of those things that's easy to water down. Those 20 seconds, you got to attack. It's not yeah. 20 seconds just to get some reps in, it's 20 seconds all out. That's the, the real magic of that interval set is to just go for it. So, and and it will highlight the fact if you've only been doing heavy back squats for a while and you think that heavy back squats and not doing anything else will give you the ability to crush a Tabata air squat protocol. Yep, very that different. Will, that will not yep. be what you find. So yeah. we start with the air squat. We understand why it's important. Then we build from there. And, and there's a couple different directions that you could go. But classically speaking, if you attend across level one or whatnot, the next thing you're going to learn about is the front squat, you know, and why is yeah. that and what are the benefits of the front squat? Yeah, the front squat is a great introduction to loading um, in the sense that it's going to put the bar in a very stable place. The back squat's very stable as well, and some people are going to go that route first, which is fine. Um, but the level one really emphasizes teaching the front squat as the first intro uh, to, to weighted squat because it has such transference to other things. That's where you're going to receive a clean. That's mm -hmm. how you're going to do a thruster. That's where you're going to start if you're going to put the bar overhead. So getting comfortable with that position as soon as possible opens up a lot of different ways forward. It's not to say that, you know, the back squat is a bad choice. It's just a lot less um, or a lot more limited, I should say, in where it branches off to. So as a, as a starting point, that front squat really does give you a huge range that you can start exploring from. 
And back in, and I'm going to say it again, the day, if I did see somebody <laughs> in, in Gold's gym front squatting, they had more of yep. the arms crossed. Uh, yep. Probably just, probably just blocked my microphone. Arms crossed, zombie <laughs> zombie style front the genie, squat. The genie style. The genie, if you will. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, pros and cons to that versus what we see is more of a traditional front rack position um, that you see in CrossFit. Why, why would somebody want to do or have to do yeah. the genie? Yeah, that, that kind of old school bodybuilder crossed arms genie style squat really was developed because a true front rack is hard and it's mm. harder if you're not really concerned about your upper body flexibility or that doesn't matter to you, which in bodybuilding, for the most part, it doesn't matter that much. That's not really the goal is to, to, to remain flexible or to develop flexibility. Um, however, when you start looking at weightlifting techniques, there is a lot of flexibility involved. And that front rack is, again, kind of the foundation of that. If you can't get to that front rack position, it's going to be hard to have the secure resting place to drive out of in a, in a jerk or a thruster. Um, so, the, again, getting back to it, the genie style really was kind of born out of the bodybuilding era where you had people that weren't concerned about flexibility but needed a place to easily place the bar. Moving to the skilled end of things is where a front rack where the bar is on the chest and the hands are outside the shoulders with the elbows high, that's something that is going to have the utility that we talked about previously, and that's why it's going to be so important to develop. So you shouldn't hide behind that if you're not flexible enough or it's uncomfortable in the beginning. So be it. That's the way it was for almost everybody that's ever front squatted. So that's not an un uh, uh, or a, uh, it's not a it's not a situation that is unique to you, shall mm -hmm. we say? That's something that most people will experience. So it's part of the learning progression. Don't fear that. I'm gonna mess up this Glassman quote, but it's something that stuck with me when I first started geeking out on CrossFit, and it was something along the lines of that your difficulty precisely describes your need there you and go so for, yep. for somebody like myself i do not have a very good front rack position it's it's a tough position for me to get in and pre-crossfit that my simple reptilian brain might have said well this is difficult that means i shouldn't do it i'm going to avoid it and do something else but i very much took the opposite approach a classic crossfit approach which is this is difficult for me I need to walk mm -hmm. right into this thing, embrace it, and continue continue to do it. And ideally make improvement, obviously, in my front rack yeah. position and whatnot. But even if I don't, maybe that will keep me from slipping even further away from having a good position and at least maintain whatever it is that I have. And that's been going on for years, and I still front squat, and it's good to go. Now, yeah. Well, and let me, let me just inject there, too. One of the things that the front squat really offers that some of the other styles don't is this the strong emphasis on posture. I mean, obviously that's going to be a feature of these other movements as well. But particularly in the front squat, it's, it's rare that the legs are the point of failure in the lift. Usually you're going to have enough in the tank downstairs to drive the bar up, but the failure is going to be in the upper back and the postural muscles to keep you rigid enough for the legs to drive up into. So that's kind of a hidden benefit of the front squat is it really does help to uh, develop a strong posture and uh, one that's going to transfer over to all sorts of other cool things.
the other thing that I will say, and stop me in case it was during when I, I couldn't hear you, was the front squat is a lifesaver for somebody just building a garage gym on a heavy day. You want to squat heavy. Yes. You don't have a pair of racks or whatnot. That was me for multiple years in my garage. I would just power clean or squat clean whatever weight I could at that given level of ability. And it certainly wasn't heavy enough for me to do a single front squat. So I would just have to do five, sixes, sevens, eights, or something like that on the front squat. And that was how heavy days were performed. So the front squat was a lifesaver. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And if we're following what people would experience when they, if they attended a level one seminar, the next squat that they would be exposed to wouldn't be the back squat, though some people might guess that's what it would be. It would be the overhead squat, a very oh, yeah. demanding oh. and uh, uh, unforgiving. One of my favorites. Is maybe, yeah, you and me are opposite ends of the spectrum <laughs> on this one. And for anyone un unfamiliar with the lift, it's just like it sounds. I'd never even seen this previous to CrossFit. I didn't follow Olympic lifting again. I was just doing, you know, back and buys, chest and tries with my buddies. So to see somebody take a barbell, extend it over their head in a wide grip and while holding weight overhead, do a squat. When I first saw it, I was like, what is this circus trick that people are doing? <laughs> and, and why in the world do you even need to do this? I've never seen this happen in real life. This seems so bizarre. It seems crazy to me. I just, I didn't get it at all. So what's yeah. the overhead squat all about and why, why is it such an important part of people's regimen? Oh, I love the overhead squat so much. It's, uh, I mean, there's so many benefits there. And to me, this is a really clear example of a lift that if your only interest in putting weight on your body is to accelerate your raw strength, it's going to be harder to understand the benefits of the overhead squat. Well, well, you can certainly get stronger that way because of the position for most people, it's going to really limit the weight that's on the bar. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, you know, is it really going to contribute to your leg and hip strength? Well, probably not as much as something like a front squat or a back squat, but it's not really supposed to be that as a primary driver. The real benefit of something like the overhead squat is number one, you've got this insane range of motion now that mm -hmm. has to be experienced through the shoulders, the thoracic spine, the hips, the knees, the ankles. I mean, the whole body is going to be experiencing a postural demand that is truly difficult. And if you can develop that and maintain that, I mean, again, you go back to this example of somebody who's aging and, and moving throughout their life decades later, if they can maintain the flexibility yes, required through absolutely. those joints of the body, that's a pretty good thing to tap into. I'll, I'll give you an, an anecdote. Uh, years and years ago, this is mid-2000s, I had a, a couple of clients who were in their 50s and um, they started overhead squatting with me as part of doing regular CrossFit training. We never went above the PVC pipe that wasn't really appropriate for them and, and their situation, but we did do a lot of warm up reps with that. We did do a lot of workouts that had unloaded overhead squats mm -hmm. to, to make them experience that position and develop it. And I remember one of my clients went for a physical and came back and, and told me, you know, the strangest thing, I am an inch and a half taller in my mid fifties than I was at my last physical a couple of years ago. Really? <laughs> yeah. And, and one of the things that I chalked that up to was the demands of a postural 
movement like ah, front squat, like the overhead squat. Kind of takes forced, the slouching out of it, huh? Yeah, they were forced to develop this thoracic extension. They were forced to open up the shoulders. These were working professional people that had decades behind a desk. And all of a sudden, you're starting to see some reversal of that and partly due to the overhead squat. So huge benefit there. I'll give you one more, which is kind of interesting. And this is, again, another old Glassman observation. Uh, you know, Greg Glassman uh, used to talk about it a lot, that if you're really interested in the true trunk and core strength that you've got, take a look at the ratio between your back squat and your overhead squat. And if there is a closer to one-to-one -one ratio on that, you got a pretty darn strong trunk and posture. Mm. Because it doesn't matter where that bar is, if it's over your head, if it's on your back, the weight's relatively similar. Hey, that's a pretty strong suggestion that your core strength isn't the limiting factor when you're standing up. Right. On the other end of that, if you have a wildly different number, you can point to something that's breaking down along the way. Is it trunk strength? Is it shoulder flexibility? Is it inability to lock out? There's something that's giving that away. And that can be a really interesting mechanism to ferret that out. This squat, everything that we're going to mention, I struggle with. This squat also is, you know, it's my front squat is difficult. So needless to say, my overhead squat is not exactly my bread and butter. And I apply the same mindset, the degree of difficulty, you know, that's the need that I have as well. And so while my overhead squat will never be monstrous, I regularly, with the Bergner warm-up and other, and other things like that, overhead squat several times a week as part of my warm-up. And even just for me personally, when I get to an empty barbell feeling good and I do 5, 10, 15 overhead squats, and, and for me anyway, positioning felt good, everything's getting loose and warm, then I'm like, I, I'm ready to do whatever it is that we're going to do today in a workout because I'm below parallel. Yeah. My upper body has opened up this much. Everything is, is good. And in my mind, if I can just continue overhead squatting an empty barbell for as many years as I possibly can, again, I will be in very elite company as each decade continues, continues to go on. You can probably do this because you're obnoxious and annoying with your fitness, <laughs> with your fitness and your range of motion and your flexibility. I could never do it. And I think since I could never do it, that's also what made it so intriguing to me. And, and I had such an appreciation for those who could. There were some tests isn't the right word or challenges that mm. used to exist in the old journal and whatnot. And one of them yeah. was 15 overhead squats at body weight that's as right. a goal to work yep. towards. And I always wanted that. But 15 overhead squats at 185 and my shoulders aren't, uh, they're not friends. But I... I I always was so envious of people that could do that. Could, can I make the bold assumption that that has fallen, that you've checked that off your list? I, I have indeed. The overhead squat's a good lift for me. And uh, yes, that, that's one that um, I, was, I was happy that I could get that one on the board pretty early and I've been able to maintain it. And there's a really cool old school video, isn't there, of like Nicole Carroll trying to yeah. get that and, and working yeah. at it either week after week or whatever. And then finally... It's and then finally achieving video. it. Yep. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Especially these days, you know, you see everybody's highlight reel of their life in these small snapshots of social media. It's very rare that you see the process that got them there. So that video is really cool in that sense where it's a three, four minute video. And I think there was like eight attempts in there, mm -hmm. seven of which were a failure. And she finally perseveres enough to get it. It's like, that's, yeah, that's what happens. That is real life. So 
And what's so great as somebody who just, you know, I enjoy watching individuals under the demands of, of fitness or whatnot at a certain rep range, right? Like, let's say oh, yeah. at 15 is their max, yep. maybe it's somewhere like 10 or 11 or 12, the full body shakes, like the head, <laughs> the head to toe central nervous system just going, what are you asking me to do? This is too much. Put the bar down and you fight to keep the position yep. that you need and keep the bar over midfoot and keep your shoulders active. What, I mean, a fantastic yeah. lift, fantastic yeah, so lift. To, so, to, so to boil it back down and kind of encapsulate all of that with the overhead squat, you know, I would say you, you got to break yourself out of the mentality that this is going to be my primary strength lift, treat it more as a skill and posture development tool. And you're going to start to see that you're moving a little bit better when it comes time to do more complex things. You want to have a really good snatch. Well, it's going to start with a fundamentally sound overhead squat. Right. And you're not going to have that amazing overhead squat if you have neglected your air squat. So we're getting you Most back likely, to, yes. to, to yep. step one, step one as well. Okay. Pretty rare that somebody's going to have a good one, but not the other. <laughs> so we discussed air squat, front squat, overhead squat. Now, what I would guess is probably everyone's just most beloved squat the in general. Pappy. The back squat, which oh, you and I, I said it. initially is just would be a, a cornerstone of any program yep. that's, that's uh, you know, if you had to choose a lift for the rest of your life. King what of lifts. Makes, yeah. What makes the back squat so incredible and... And maybe this is a good opportunity. I'm sure you've got this question a bunch of times. If we did give the back squat such incredible accolades, and it's mm. so amazing, mm -hmm. why is it not included <laughs> in the level one? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, you know, the, the simplest reason is that, again, the skill tree that branches off from the back squat is, is relatively limited compared mm. to the front squat. So for that reason, getting invested in the front squat early is going to pay dividends when you start looking at these other lifts. So for no other reason than that, it's a pretty natural feeder to go there first. In my opinion, I don't think it needs to be linear for the same reason that, you know, we talked about our favorite lift, but that doesn't mean because I prefer the, the, the back squat, that doesn't mean that I don't deadlift. It just right. means that that's what I would, would rather if I had to. It's the same thing here. When somebody's progressing through their squat journey, it's not like, well, I'm going to front squat only, and then I'm going to overhead squat only. Mm -hmm. And until I get both of those things at an acceptable level, I will never back squat. I mean, that's a ridiculous approach. So mm -hmm. the back squat, relatively speaking, is probably going to be less technically demanding for people to learn sure. than the front squat or the overhead squat. Yep. So once I have a pretty good understanding of what it's like to squat from a, from a front rack position, it's not going to be a tall order for me to put the bar in the back rack and go for it. Now, that's not to say there aren't some nuances there or some different styles that you can, you can engage with. But for the most part, if my squat fundamentals are sound, I've been exposed to loading in that position, putting the bar on my back and loading myself up isn't going to be a big ask. And it has all the benefits that we've mentioned from Huge. the air squat, the front squat, the, you know, uh, the overhead squat, be it, you know, range of motion, uh, midline stability healthy joints, strong joints, yep. but based upon those other lifts, air squat, front squat, and overhead squat, the back squat is going to give most people the opportunity to maximally load their body, which that exactly. in and of itself yep. puts it in a unique category of squats. Yeah, it's kind of this perfect intersection of maximal loading, but still having high demands on flexibility and range of motion with the lower body. 
So you get this really kind of cool crossover between the two. Obviously not quite as demanding on the posture as the front squat, certainly not as demanding of the uh, flexibility of the upper body as the overhead squat. So you reduce some of that, but what you gain is this absolute loading. And that's really important when we're talking about pushing your strength forward. Mm-hmm. And probably I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about this. If the back squat's broken, uh, spoken about, a lot of people are curious, what's your two cents on high bar versus low bar back squat? What are the, the differences? Why would somebody choose one or the other? And, and most people would ask, is one better or preferable than the other? Yeah, well, like many things in life, Pat, it depends. <laughs> uh, I think this is one of those great internet battles that I don't think it's flared up in a while. Maybe, maybe some circles it's still raging, but I think it was kind of a, a hot topic a while back. And we'll, we'll date ourselves a little bit, but you know, it's probably about 10 years ago, maybe more, that this mm-hmm. was really a big topic of conversation. And again, going back to what I said before, I always got a chuckle out of that because I'm like, yeah, we, we went from this era of squatting is bad, it'll blow up your knees, you should never do it, to I have firmly planted my flag in this one style of squat and I will die on this hill. Right. Yep. <laughs> and so to me, I'm like, well, the fact that that's where the conversation is, is it's great. It's a leap forward. Um, it's a leap forward. True. Yeah. So getting down to brass tacks, I think the... Uh, Really briefly, the benefits of something like a high bar squat where the bar is placed higher up on the traps and it it allows a more upright position while still allowing a lot of loading, certainly more than a a front or an overhead squat. Uh, The benefits there is that you're going to overload that upright position that is going to be similar to a weightlifting style position. So the catch and a clean, the catch and a snatch, something like that. I think there's a good argument to be made that it is quote unquote, a more athletic position in the sense that it does demand more flexibility and a little bit more postural awareness. So for those reasons, it can be a great choice, especially if you're somebody that does want a little bit more carryover to the weightlifting end of the Mm -hmm. spectrum. The counterpoint to that with the low bar is you're going to put the bar a little bit lower on the the back. It's kind of at the uh, the level of the scapula, the mid-scapula. So, you know, several inches further down on the spine. That's going to shorten the lever between where the bar sits and the hips that are acting on the bar, which gives you a better chance to push more force into that bar and raise it. So for that reason, it allows a greater overload and therefore it can accelerate your strength. That's, that's the claim. I think there's some validity to that for sure. Where people seem to have a breakdown is that the argument about if I load myself up and I become more generally strong, will that overflow better than a more specific lighter load and potentially less strength gain? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of debate still left there. So in my opinion, I think that there is a place for both. And unless you are the type of specialty athlete that is looking just at the margins of what they're going to do, you should be familiar with both and you should be comfortable playing around with both. So if a seven by one back squat day comes up, yes, you don't feel people should be pigeonholed into just doing a high bar or just doing a low bar, that there's certainly benefit to doing both, experiment with both, go heavy yep. on both, get comfortable. Absolutely. And then if you are still doing good, well-rounded training with variants, even if let's say you only, so an oversimplification might be that the 
high bar back squat demands a bit more of a vertical torso and the low bar mm -hmm. back squat puts your torso at a bit more of a forward inclination. Well, yep. let's say you only low bar back squat it. So you only get under that maximal load with a slightly vertical uh, forward inclination of the torso. Well, then if you're still front squatting on other days and overhead yep. squatting on other days, you're going to get that other torso position right there. So you're going to be, again, Absolutely. variance Variance solves a lot of things. Variance is a, <laughs> yeah, is, it does. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Okay, yep. so we will start to wrap this up. We're not going to quite wrap it up. We're going to start to. Okay. There are probably 55 other squat variations that we could talk about from sure. zercher squats to various things you do in a rack and starting in the bottom position to, I mean, you you name it and, and different mm -hmm. bar choices. We could go on and on. So this is this is a good basic introduction to what most of us will be exposed to in a general physical preparedness program, air squat, front squat, overhead squat, back squat. Now... Even if there are 55 other squat types <laughs> out there, then precisely, each, precisely 55. <laughs> with each of those, you could go down a bunch of different roads and do them in different yeah. ways. So we're only going to touch on a couple of these uh, varieties that you could apply to different squats. So what, what we'll talk yep. about now is box squats and then pause squats, because those mm -hmm. are very common topics that seem to poke their head up more frequently than a lot of the others. So I think there'd be value in touching on that. So we're starting with the box squat. And for anybody who's unfamiliar with box squats, basically uh, you've got a lifter, you know, got a back squat going on. They, they squat back down. And at the bottom of the squat, just as it sounds, there's a box back there or a platform or something that they're going to briefly pause their you know, glutes, hamstrings on mm -hmm. that box. The height is usually right at parallel, maybe just below parallel. There can be some variation there, but it's going to be right around there. Keep some tension in the midline. And after a brief pause, you stand the weight back up. Okay, that's in case anyone's unfamiliar with yep. that. gives you kind of a good general visual of what a box squat might be. So why would somebody want to work that into their training? What do you see as any pros or cons or benefits? Yeah, great question. I, I think there's kind of three categories of why you would choose to include the box squat as a tool. And I think if you don't have a sense of why you're using it, you're probably going to miss the benefit. So identifying first, why, why do I care about this is probably important. So first reason, and this is the most rudimentary, this is somebody who's new to squatting. Maybe their technique is still needing some improvement. Maybe their range of motion isn't quite there yet. Uh, using a box as a tool to not only make sure the technique is consistent, meaning I'm getting to the same place every time, maybe mm. that's below parallel or just you know wherever my range of motion happens to be as a beginner, um, I can also chart the progress of that over time. So over time, I can start to lower that box and I can see that there's a linear progression to my, my flexibility and technique. That can be huge in the beginning. So that, that could be reason number one. Now, most people that are going to box squat, that's not the, the place they find themselves in. They're going to use it for performance. And so kind of the second category there is somebody who is looking to improve their squat because they're powerlifting or that's something that's really important to them. And they've identified a 
point in the lift that is often referred to as the sticking point. It's the weakest point in the lift or the, the point in the lift that you feel the weakest. Mm-hmm. And in that case, you would target the box at that height and do reps that, that knowingly put you in the most challenging position that you then have to generate tension and get out of. So that's another big utility that you've got there is kind of customizing it mm-hmm. to your uh, most challenging part in the lift. And then the third, and this is probably the most common reason to use a box squat, is to try to create more drive out of the bottom by reducing the amount of stretch shortening cycle in the muscle and how much that contributes to the lift. And so the, the way your muscles are, are meant to contract is that they will always contract harder when there is kind of a rebounding effect or when the, uh, the, the tension uh, has to change directions or requires you to change directions quickly. Mm-hmm. So if you can remove some of that by taking a beat on the box, allowing some of that to dissipate, and then having to generate the force up out of the bottom, you're creating a different demand on your body. And so that's very similar to doing something like a dead stop deadlift. Sure. You don't get the benefit of that pretension to get the weight off the floor. This is kind of replicating the same idea with a squat. So it would be safe to say that most people would squat less weight for a box squat. You know, if they're used Absolutely. to doing used yep. to doing a certain amount of weight on a five by five back squat, a traditional back squat, now they're like, hey, today I'm going to do five by five in the back squat. They should expect yep. they should expect not to need to go to the rack for as many plates. Absolutely, and and not only that, it, I would say that if they're looking to keep the numbers consistent, meaning they know they can do five by five at this weight and they're trying to hit that same weight on the box squat, they are more than likely going to bastardize the technique of the box squat to hit that number and not really get the full benefit out of the movement. Because necessarily I have to give myself that time for that stretch shortening reflex to dissipate before I can stand back up. I can cheat that by just touching the box and standing back up and calling it a box squat, but I don't really get the benefit. So I might fool myself into thinking, well, I hit my numbers, it looks good, but I didn't really get the benefit of that specific training technique. So what was the point? Perfect. So that's a nice, again, there could be multiple chapters in a book written about box squats. That's a nice, a nice brief, brief encapsulation right there. We'll give the same due to pause squats. So pause squats, anyone who's unfamiliar with those as well, just like it sounds, you're, you're pausing in the bottom of the squat, traditionally in the bottom of the squat. You might pause on the way down, on the way up, you can pause wherever you want, but you'll usually see it down in the bottom of the squat. You'll hold that pause for a small number of seconds, and then you'll go ahead and, to the best of your ability, explode up. You know, you'll hear a lot mm-hmm. out of the bottom. And once again, for something like that, pause squats, why would somebody want to incorporate those into their training? Yeah. What would be the potential benefits of something like that? Yeah, I, I joked earlier when we were uh, you know, pre-recording that the pause squat is really kind of the poor man's box squat. And, and right. I stand by that statement. It's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of trying to emulate that same idea where I don't get the benefit of that rebounding effect. I have to take a little bit of time and drive from a position that is not quite zero tension or even close to it, but it's less advantageous. I'm I'm putting more demand to drive out of the bottom as opposed to ride the lift 
and harness the rebound. Mm-hmm. And you'll also hear people hope that the benefit they're getting out of that is, all right, you're down on the bottom of the squad, you're below parallel, you're in this bent knee position. And from this bent knee position, you need to quote unquote explode out of it. Well, that seems to have yeah. good transference to a lot of athletic positions where you're in somewhat of a crouch or three-point stance, you're in a bent knee position, then you need to explode onto the field of play or against your opponent, or you're receiving a snatch or a clean in a very deep position, you need to get yourself out of that hole. So a lot of those things tend to be what people hope the benefits will be of doing something like the pause squat there. And this is this is the question now that, of course, we know people on the internet are Nobody gets upset about anything. <laughs> Nothing's a polarizing no. <laughs> issue in strength and conditioning. But I could word this question better, but I'm not going to because it will be more fun if I word it poorly, intentionally okay. poorly. Our Get box, them, stir the pot. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Are box squats and pause squats necessary for most recreational athletes? Absolutely. Quit now if you can't do them or if you don't do them currently, uh, you shouldn't be squatting. No. Um, just like so many other things we discuss, I think that these are icing on the cake type movements. What's important is that you've got the bar loaded and you are squatting with it with yep. some of the methods we already discussed. And, and that should be happening regularly. Um, once you're at a position where you've got some some capability there and you're really trying to take it to the next level yeah you can play around with some of these other techniques but even then there are plenty of high level lifters indeed many world champions that have come through both weightlifting and powerlifting and and not utilize those techniques they don't they don't necessarily have to fall back on them um, because they weren't useful or they didn't drive their progress uh, you know more than the more conventional lifts so to think that they are absolutely critical, I think, is a mistake. They mm -hmm. can be great tools. They can be motivators to try something new. And if it excites you to get in there and get the bar on your back and go for it, hey, awesome. That, that might be the most useful element. Yep. Um, but they're certainly not going to be a make or break type of inclusion for somebody who's interested in a gen general physical preparation. Yes, I would, I would say for most people regular human beings however you want to define that i'm not you're not putting food on the table based upon your yeah. athletic performance just the benefit and you'll get everything you need from just well-rounded programming variants of doing back squats and then front squats and then overhead squats then you're doing wall balls and you're doing air squats you're doing high reps and you're doing low reps the loading is changing for the recreational athlete you're going to be fine. Now, mm -hmm. if you're operating at the margins of your experience and, and you've squeaked out just about as much performance from your body as you can, like you are actually an elite level athlete where you know one kilo extra makes a big difference on the leaderboard, then you're gonna wanna try as many different things as you can and expose yourself to even more variance because that might move the needle and that's a very important sure. thing. And I'll say what you said a second ago, but just in a different way, where I do think things like this have benefit the pause squat and the box squat to even recreational athletes, freedom is a wonderful thing. If you want to do them, it sure doesn't matter whether or not you need yeah. to do them. If you want to do them, 
do them. And if that keeps you fired up and it keeps you happy and that keeps you working out for the next two months and not getting bored and sitting on your couch, you can't even put a a value on that. That's Mm -hmm. absolutely huge. We all get bored every now and then. And sometimes a little bit of experimentation kind of rekindles that fire. It's fantastic. All right. Well, I think that is about all that we have to say on the squats. Absolutely. It's a lot of info to uh, uptake. And again, the big one is, are you going up and down? Right. And if the answer is yes, you're ahead of the game. So stay there. Stay ahead of the game. Yep. Squatting's fantastic. Keep doing it. To everybody out there watching and listening, thank you all. Again, this was user-generated content. So Boz and I, we check out those comments. We see where everybody wants to go. We try to take some shows in that direction. So if you're listening to this in an audio format, thank you very much. But we encourage everybody, go to the BTWB YouTube channel, find this episode, post your thoughts to comments. There's some squats that you have uh, that are your favorites, something that we neglected to talk about. Let us know. And once again, for Adrian Bosman, I'm Pat Sherwood. We will see you next time.